You're tuning in to the Wild, Weird, and Sometimes Normal podcast. If you have a story or a guest recommendation that you think others need to hear, email me at wildweirdandsometimesnormal at gmail.com. Let's get this started. Alex and Brett, kick it! Wild. And sometimes normal. On this episode, I'm joined by Eric from Collectus Obscurium. You may remember Eric from episode 14, where we discussed his paranormal investigating endeavors and mentioned he's a practicing occultist. Now he's back to discuss his experiences with magic and the occult. Eric walks me through his practices and beliefs and how it has benefited his life. We cover the difference between the left and right-hand path of occultism and how every day many people dabble in occultist spells without realizing it. Truly a fascinating conversation. Follow Eric through Collectus Obscurium and let him know you heard him on Wild and Weird. Enjoy the show. Are you looking for CBD for your pet? My friends at Pure Pet Wellness have what you need. They use the highest quality ingredients. While other companies may use synthetic oils in their CBD, Pure Pet Wellness uses organic ingredients, organically grown hemp, organic coconut oil, organic shea butter, organic beeswax, and that's just to name a few. A family-owned and operated company that also offers fast shipping. Go to purepetwellness.com for all your pet's CBD needs and use the discount code WILD and WEIRD at checkout. That's wild, A-N-D, weird. Treat your animal right. Go to purepetwellness.com. Are you looking to buy a home in New Jersey? Escape the city and move to the suburbs? Finally purchase that vacation home on the lake or down the shore? Maybe you're one of the lucky ones who are retiring and moving out of state. If so, let me help you. Keller Williams and the Real Estate Professional Group have what you need to make your goals come true. Reach out and have a conversation with someone who will put you first. Contact Brian McCoach at 856-321-1212 or email brianmccoach at kw.com. Welcome to another episode of Wild, Weird, and Sometimes Normal. I'm your host, Brian. And tonight, I would like to welcome back Eric Chalkler from Collectus Obscurium, who was on episode 14, and tonight he's here to talk about the occult. Eric, welcome back. Uh, thank you for having me back. I, I feel like there was a little bet with just myself on how many times I could say welcome back right there. That was like four <laughs> of them. So if anybody bet the over, you won. Uh, Eric, so awesome, man. Thank you so much for coming on. I had plans for bringing you back, possibly maybe around... Halloween. I was talking about some occult, ran into a, a huge jam. I was on vacation this week with my family. And I was like, I got a guy. Let's see if he can help me out. And boom, you're here. I feel like I asked the universe for you. And then there it was. So maybe this is like tied in here. Maybe. Am, am I on the path of possible what occult could be? Abso- this- absolutely. That's godlike right there. <laughs> that's, it. that's it. That's it. I should have went with like the, the five Powerball numbers instead, but I was like, oh, yeah, exactly. I need Eric to answer this. you got me. That's, that's a close <laughs> box. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's about it. right. It's instant manifestation right there. That's it. Awesome. So back in episode 14, we talked about paranormal investigation. And in that episode, you mentioned some of your occult knowledge and, and things that you know, books you've read and things like that. Uh, so that, you know, that was 
awesome as we talked in that episode. And I brought up, hey, definitely be back on for a solo show. So here we are, and we're going to expound upon this. And I'm just going to kind of give the floor for a minute and see where it goes. I have a couple of questions to ask you, but I, I feel like uh, I'm kind of in the dark here about the occult world. I listen to a lot of podcasts, the higher side chats, Sam Tripoli, stuff like that. They'll come on. Even Rogan will like, touch on a little bit like occult people or they'll come on. And in my mind, I feel like I have a small idea of what it is, but then I really started thinking about it today. Like, hey, how are we going to get this interview going and things like that? And I was like, shit, man, like, I don't know if I really know any of this. So if you could just, how did you get involved, man? Well, first, the, you know, when you say occult, it's, it, that's a really broad spectrum of things that, that kind of get lumped in with that term. I got involved with the occult. I started practicing when I was 15. That was probably, I think that was like 1988, maybe somewhere in there. And uh, it, that came from an interest in the paranormal, the supernatural. They all kind of tie in together, I think, in, in a lot of ways. And from a really early age, I was always interested in some of this strange stuff. And, and the last time I was on your show, I uh, I spoke a little bit about watching Poltergeist and getting interested in the paranormal because they had a paranormal team come out on that on that movie, and that's what got me interested in strange things like that going on, things that we don't always see, but there's people out there that somehow can engage in them and work with them, and that just grew over time. I didn't know what the occult was, of course, when I was a child. I was raised Roman Catholic. I eventually started to hear about, you know, people that were involved in witchcraft and all these like scary sounding things that, you know, Roman Catholics didn't touch. And I eventually got a few books and and like a lot of people they that start off in the occult, they do reading first. And, uh, and that's, and that's how I started. I got books on all different types of occultism. I probably did more harm to myself than good because it just confused the hell out of me. But, you know, after sorting it out, meeting some people and getting a little bit of guidance, it started to make a little more sense to me. It started to come together. So 88, you said you're 15. There's no Amazon. So you're at the local library, just like, hey, you guys have any Alistair Crowley back there? Uh, <laughs> right, exactly. Um, it, Walton and uh, B. Dalton booksellers in the mall, you know, they had a very, very limited selection. There's a town not too far from... Uh, from where I, I grew up, it's, it was about an hour away. It was in New Hope, Pennsylvania. They had a lot of like metaphysical shops there. So we would like save our money and we would go there like once or twice a year and buy like books we couldn't find anywhere else. That's, that's really how I started and mostly self-taught. There was one other occult practitioner in my high school who was a year older than I was. And still to this day, he is a really knowledgeable and just a really successful magician. He support like that's his life. That's his livelihood. He writes books. He teaches classes. He does does appearances and and things like that. And he's just phenomenal with it. Uh, so I I had access to him to have some of my questions answered, and that was a big help. That's awesome. I have a I guess like a mentor like that or somebody. I'm sure because even just here, like if I went to you know be dalton or even amazon like wait, where do you start or like you know what is this and also so i feel like it's such a, a deep issue you know and you're talking about the 80s so like you know it's like, oh satanic panic or whatever it might be and, and exactly yeah so i'm sure we can get into the weeds of different like what a cult means high level 
what are we talking about? Well, most of what I say to you today in this interview is going to be just my opinion. I mean, I can't stress that enough. Um, I can't obviously speak for really anybody else. But for me, my occult practices center around my consciousness, working on my consciousness. And my ultimate goal is to fortify my consciousness so that it maintains its individual state post-mortem. And that's where a great division in occultism takes place between the right-hand path occultism and left-hand path occultism. And a lot of religions like right-hand path occultism, they seek this merging with this universe, this oneness. And the left-hand path says, if that exists, I really don't want to just lose myself in it. I don't want to be like what the Hindus say, a drop in the ocean. I want to maintain my individual awareness post-mortem. I want to be able to experience those things. I want to be able to move about in the universe and remain aware, but I want to maintain the me and all of it. So that's really what I work on is that, you know, developing states of consciousness that I believe can withstand the impact of physical death and retain my individual identity. So the Eric that I know now that I'm talking to, his goal is when he dies, obviously we're talking about an afterlife of some sort here or a greater beyond, and you want to remember Eric himself and take that to then see where that goes, right? Is that what we're talking about? Yes. I mean, I, I obviously there's work to be done while we're alive, right? I mean, I'm not a perfected being. There's a lot of me work to do, and and I always try to progress as an individual. And it's hard to say, like, I don't want to be this version of Eric when I die. Obviously, I want to be something better. I want to be something expanded i want to be something a little more perfected of course i won't be perfect but that's really what i'm life man don't hey don't get yourself short there's a lot of life left (laughs) i hope there i hope yeah you never know yeah as i as i'm sipping a soda i'm saying yeah long life left yeah it's great (laughs) you cut that soda out right you're halfway there man you're halfway there all right so work on yourself more to perfection of whatever we can achieve in this life and then when you go on to beyond, you'll at least recognize the work that you've done, and then you can continue on wherever that might lead you. Right. And the process usually is referred to as self-deification or becoming your own God. And this is, like you said, it's a, it's a lifelong process. It's never really complete. I know a lot of really advanced initiates. They're all phenomenal people. They're all incredibly intelligent and uh, it's a really humbling experience to be the dumbest guy in the room, but that's the case when I'm around these people. But I always get a lot out of it. And I think through personal practice and having access to people that have done this work for so long is critically important. And there's a lot of occult organizations out there that people can join and be members of. There's, you know, in witchcraft, there's covens and things like that. It's not really my thing, but if you're looking to really excel on the path you're on, it's always a good idea to find people that are successful on that path that can give you some advice, but don't present themselves as all-knowing. 
right? You got to you got to be weary of of people that are going to try to manipulate you or somehow exert power over you and try to manipulate you know your life in some way. And there's people out there that will do that. We see that in mainstream religions. We see that in fringe occult organizations. It happens all the time. So you grew up Roman Catholic. At that time, when you were younger, what was your belief in the afterlife? I believed what I was told to believe in Roman Catholicism, you know, that there's a heaven, that that there's God, that Jesus was, you know, our savior. And a big part of my occult transition was breaking away from that. It's it's hard for people to question what they believed in their whole lives. And the older you get, the harder that becomes. And it's very important to be able to do that with yourself. I believe this, but why do I believe this? And what is the opposite of that? Or what is something that is contrary to that? And I want to learn about that. I want to be honest with myself and say, as much as I believe in this thing here, this one idea, I want to learn what the other people are saying the people that are saying that I'm wrong, I want to I want to learn that. And that's an important tool to have in your kit is to be that that honest with yourself and say all these things that I'm telling Brian today, tomorrow I might tell him, you know what? I'm sorry about that. Um I was wrong. We don't hear but, that enough in the world. We don't we don't hear we we hear double down. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and and there's studies that show that's what people do when when you're looking for information, you seek affirming information of your current beliefs, and you'll go out of your way to avoid things that might speak to the contrary. Yeah, there's some famous quote that uh, I'm going to completely butcher here, but it was something that if you can convince the person of the lie, and then if they internally believe that lie to be true, even presented with the truth, they will double down on their own self-belief as opposed to the true facts in front of them. Yeah. And that's, you know, you're opening up a can there where you get into like, perception and like how how the brain actually works you know like people say oh you don't believe in jesus and you don't believe in catholicism it's like no i don't like well i've i've seen people pray and it seems to really help them and and yes i'm sure it really does it it can work i'm sure it works for some people it didn't work for me and that's why i looked elsewhere but the you know the the mind is a is a weird thing it can it can do all kinds of things. Placebo effect. And they, yeah. I mean, typically when they would roll out a new drug or you know something that the masses would get, typically what they would have done was a placebo and see how it worked instead of just you know mass rollout of one same product. As I digress, I'm sorry, but uh, you know you just did a placebo and people be like, oh, I took sugar water and I feel great, and who who knows what it might have been. I would be reluctant to call these things placebo effects only because the like I guess maybe the placebo effect does have the same end result that a, a legitimate drug or medication might have. But the difference here, I think, is that none of us can really be sure what would be the placebo, what is real, what isn't real. Because again, that boils down to perception. Everybody's... I, I, I do agree with that. I was just saying, I guess, more like self-belief, that if you enroll in a study and they tell you this is going to whatever cure cancer or cure hair loss... And then your hair comes back because you thought you were taking the pill. Like that is a self-belief. And now right. if you think there is a, a Jesus or a God or whatever it might be, and you pray for good health or your friend's health who's failing and they turn back, in your mind, it was your self-belief that this person, entity, whatever it might be, 
right. you know, laid a hand on it. That's that's fine. Uh, all right. So you grow up, you know, Roman Catholic, you know, St. Peter is at the pearly gate. He's going to check his clipboard. Are you in the list? Are you not? You get in VIP, you know, who knows? As you're growing up before a cult, are you starting to, you know, I'm sure it just wasn't like a clean break, but like, did you start thinking of, well, maybe there's not like heaven in the clouds, but possibly, you know, it's eternal life somehow else. Yes. And what I was saying earlier about losing the self and losing the identity, I don't believe that there's anywhere in Christianity that says when you go to heaven, you remain self-aware. I don't know that they actually ever address that. I could be wrong on this, but from what I was raised, heaven was a place where you went and they, you know, it's great. It's paradise. It's paradise. But there wasn't the specifics ever laid out for me that said, you will be you. Okay. So paradise would be the end of suffering. It would be the, you know, relieving all your, your problems and all of these things that lead to suffering, right? If that's gone, then it's paradise, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're individual still. You're, you're not self-aware. You're not you. So that still goes into that whole, almost that Eastern philosophy that this is you're merging with the universe. You're, you're losing the self. You're becoming a part of this greater whole. Right. From my memory, I, I grew up, you know, Roman Catholic on the church and it, it was a long time. Last weekend was the first time I went back to a, it was, it was a Methodist church, I believe, intentionally going back to church that wasn't like wedding related or baptism or something like that. And it was very interesting. So I grew up, you know, in the church and, you know, Pearl Gates and all this stuff. And then as I got older, you know, kind of went more towards just a greater being. And, you know, we're all one with the universe, whatever it might be. And, and then there's just some different thoughts that, you know, came through of, you know, possibly, you know, the people that you're close to, you know, I, I like to think as like a soul family that like you choose to be with the people that you're deeply connected to. And, you know, th- your roles may change throughout, you know, these lifetimes, whatever it might have, but your souls are connected. You choose to stay together as like a little pod of people, whatever it might be. And then it was interesting going back to, to mass church, whatever, you know, whatever it was last weekend. And I, I don't know the Psalm that they quoted. I, I don't know what it was, but it was about Jesus was talking to his disciples and it was like, Peter, build your church on this rock. So, but leading up to that, uh, I just, I, it was a perfect mass for me to attend because it really just had me like thinking a lot. Dude, it was crazy back then, one. But they were going on and Jesus talks to his disciples. And hey, is the Bible real? Or, I, I don't know if the Bible's real or not, right? But this is the story that's in here and people are basing their entire life and faith on this and not knocking at all. I, th- I think it, I think it's better to believe in something than to believe in absolutely nothing. You know, that that you this is just a crapshoot and you're here and you live and you die and it's darkness kind of seems lonely. And maybe that's true too. I don't know. Just seems very lonely. Anyway, talking to the disciples and he says to them, like, who do you think I am? Jesus is like, who do you think I am? And one of them said, Oh, you're John the Baptist reincarnated. And then they said two other names. I, I forget what their names were. And they I don't remember them being taught in church growing up or whatever. So the one guy was sucked up to heaven in like a tornado and he went to heaven alive. I was like, okay, that's breaking news. I thought that was just Jesus was taken up there. So this one guy was up there before. And so then they're going on and it was three years that Jesus spent with his disciples. I'm sorry, guys, we're going on a whole religious class here, but I just found parts of this interesting. So for three years, he was with his 
disciples and they were off the grid and but he was going about doing his miracles and everything but it took them 3 years of watching him do these miracles for them to believe that he was who he said he was and the pastor was saying he's like oh because other people are performing miracles at this time so there's false prophets possibly whatever but where is all this magic like coming from that like there's there's just random people walking on water and random mass healings and and then you have to figure out which one is is real or which one man 2000 years ago what had to be i thought this was the craziest time that had to be awesome back then <laughs> and 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 the wild part of that story is like these were people and and this is coming from christians themselves you know this is these are people that spent 3 years with jesus seeing this before they believed they were and sure. Now, they're now like, I've seen the, this before. Right. And now they're now the expectation on you is like, well, here's people that witnessed it a long time ago. They wrote some stuff down in a book. That should be good enough for you, right? Here's a yeah. here's a book. They, well, they were written way after. I mean, even at that point, they're like, oh, this is just right. based on, you know, a friend told a friend. This is like the Ferris Bueller thing. Like they saw him pass out at 31 flavors, but like, anybody see it? <laughs> uh, you know, and sorry to minimize Christianity like that. But at the same time, like this isn't you didn't uncover the day-to-day diary of these things. Um, sure. But again, I, I, you know, as we swing back to your, your side of it, if you have to believe in something, I think you should believe in something. I also just thought it was crazy that there's other people being sucked up to, you know, what they said to heaven, or that it took three years of watching somebody do amazing things till they finally were like, Oh no, you're different than the last guy. Sure. Hey, nuts. All right. Let's, uh, so, all right. You are, you're growing up in the church and then you're, you're slowly fading away from that. And, you know, poltergeist is coming out and things like this. And you start going to the bookstore. And, well, and you- the poltergeist thing took place long before, uh, before my, my dabblings in my first dabblings in the occult, but yeah. That's all around 88, right? Poltergeist is like 84 or something, probably 85. Yeah. Lead in the but, way, that, the, but, but there's a, there's a big gap between elementary school person and high school yeah. person. There's a lot you of, so. you hope. Yeah. yeah, you hope so. A lot, a lot of yeah. growing and a lot of yeah, mistakes. Yeah. Thank God there weren't cell phones back then. <laughs> all right so you're on your you're on your journey you're on your path whatever you're, you're learning right what's what's next that's taking you down this road well i went through a lot of different uh schools of of philosophy during that time i did things like neo-paganism and i got a little well-read on sympathetic magic and things like that and but what really started to catch my interest was when i got into ceremonial magic like the Kabbalah, you know, Jewish mysticism, things like that. Moses was a was was said to be a great Kabbalistic magician, right? And that really spoke to me, like working on me as a higher being, not just lighting a candle and doing a spell for money and, you know, to get laid or whatever high school Eric wanted. You know what I mean? Like I'm sure those are the things that that drew me to it, like having that kind of power you know being able to do that through these unusual means was certainly enticing but i really got involved early on with working on as on me as a higher being so i'm gonna jump in real quick what is your current belief of the afterlife my current belief of the afterlife is that you can maintain your individual awareness, your your i your identity, and you can structure what that identity is through very specific practices, or you can go 
the other way, like we said earlier, and, and try to merge and become one with the universe, these things are all quite possible. In the last time you and I spoke, I talked a little bit about the ancient Egyptians model of the soul and how that came into play in the paranormal. Different parts of the self that remained on earth and different parts went in different places. And that's really the model that I use for my occult practices. You, you could use any number of different models. I personally like the ancient Egyptian one. And so through specific methods, I seek to strengthen each one of those things as much as I possibly can. One of the biggest realizations that a person will go through when they start practicing magic, and that is that magic doesn't make things happen. It's actually an extra step. You're actually adding a step to make things happen. So it's not for the lazy because if you do a ritual, I'm going to do this ritual to get a new job or something, right? And then you go back to playing Xbox, it's probably not going to do anything for you. But if you go and you do your ritual for your career, and then you go out and you, you sit down and write a new resume, maybe your mind will be more focused on creating a better resume. Maybe it'll open up a door. Maybe you'll interview better. Maybe you'll present yourself as a better employee whatever the case might be, magic, and this was just told to me past couple of years, it was, was put into terms like this. It aligns the elements that need to be aligned for you to take the initiative to make things happen. And I think that's a really important lesson to learn. So when you ask me, you know, what is, what is occultism for me now? And it's that realization that I can use magic to align whatever I need aligned to get what I need out of life. And I don't do magic for like money. And, uh, you know, I'm, I don't have a problem with people that do that. I, I just personally don't. I spend most of it on inner development. I just try to um, work on myself and, and to fortify my consciousness so that when physical death comes knocking, it doesn't get confused. It doesn't fade away. It doesn't dissipate it remains together it remains whole so when physical death does come your consciousness remains whole where are you going what's on the other side well that's that's anybody's guess you start to go into like you know quantum physics and dimensions and all kinds of things and there's different schools of spirituality that address that in different ways um, again the ancient egyptians had their own way of describing you know, the afterlife and different places a person could go. Hindus say there's um, heavenly planets and hellish planets. So they're actually physical locations where you can end up going. I don't know. I don't, I don't spend a lot of time addressing that. In my personal system, I take some time to create an afterlife for myself. I don't try to fathom what's already there. Because you were talking about, well, you know, maybe people and families, they kind of cluster and stay together or whatever. And that might be entirely true, especially if you're using the, the, the multifaceted model of the self that I was talking about, the ancient Egyptian model of self. There's parts of you that certainly could gravitate towards family members. I believe that 
creation of the afterlife is within each person's ability. They can do that. They can make that for themselves. Okay. I like it. So the Hindus in their afterlife, there's different planets and you know, you may end up on Mars or near boo or whatever you might do or back or back here. Right. Cause or, reincarnation okay. was a thing. So it, is reincarnation in play for you as well? I haven't, I haven't seen a reason to believe that exists. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not going to tell people that's not real. I don't know. I, I have no experience with it. I have no recollections of a former life. Again, going back to the last time we spoke, we talked about how at the moment of death, you can relive your life again, moment by moment because of, of the way the brain slows down time. I think, I think maybe that can lead people to the sensation that they've reincarnated or lived before. Maybe that has something to do with it. I don't know. It, but in your world belief, even though it hasn't happened to you yet, you're, are you open to the possibility it could happen? Oh yeah, I'm sure. Okay. I'm sure. Okay. Yeah, it's anything's possible, right? Right. I I'm not I'm I'm not going to sit here and try to tell you that it's it's hard to prove a negative, right? Yeah. Like oh, aliens aren't real. Oh really? How how do you prove that? They might not be here on this planet like some people believe. I don't know. They might be, they might not be, but unless you went to every place in the physical universe and searched it, you can't tell me that aliens aren't real. So therefore, proving a negative becomes futile. It's you just can't can't do it. So I'm sorry if this is gonna oversimplify it, or I just completely missed a mark on this. But uh, so your goal is to create a self that recognize a, a consciousness that stays cognizant of the life that you are living now as you develop and get better and you could have the ability to control your own afterlife absolutely yeah okay yeah I like that, man. That's in, good. and in uh in ancient egypt there was um they said only pharaohs had or I shouldn't say just pharaohs, but there was only certain people that had certain soul parts. I don't believe that's true. I believe if these parts are actual things that we can work with, everybody has them. It's just that back then, only certain people were learned and could be taught and had time to develop these parts, right? So for they remain dormant in other people. But Specifically with the ancient Egyptians, they had what was called the Ak, and the Ak was the like the deified self. It was the part that remained in the cosmos as itself. But it takes a long time to develop an Ak. You actually have to try. You have to work really hard at it. Right. We, from what I know of history, we are fortunate in this current time that we have as you know as much downtime that we allow ourselves to have. You know, some people are working three jobs. I get it. But, you know, some people, whatever they work, 40, 50, 70 hours, whatever it is, you can still carve out time in your day to work on things that you want to do, whatever it might. You might want to play Xbox for 10 hours or your weekend or your day off, whatever it might be. But you can work on yourself. Now, prior to that, there was always farming to be done. There was always hunting. There was Absolutely. always fixing. And there was, you know, boss man in charge. And he tells you what to do. Then he gets to go work on his OC. And create his own afterlife, right. and then you're sucked back into this reincarnation. The entirety of your being was based on your day to day survival, right? And 
that makes that makes sense, right? I mean, that's why these things weren't done back then. There was only the priesthood class or the royalty or the pharaohs or, or kings and other cultures or whatever they might be. These people had the time. These people had access to materials and people that could teach them these things and actually pursue them, which probably is why it developed into the saying or belief that they're the only ones that could do that. Right. I mean, if you don't have the skills to do it, you know, like, oh, the only person who built a house is a carpenter. Time. So like, oh, right. You know, if I spend enough time learning how to build a house, I, you know, I'm sure I could get it at some point. But you're never given that opportunity. So, you know, sucks to be you. I have Good a luck. friend that tells me all the time that, you know, he, he's like, well, shamanism is absolutely 100% real. And I said, well, how do you know? How do you know shamanism is real? And he said, because they, the ancients did it and they didn't do things that didn't yield direct results they didn't do they didn't waste their time with things that wouldn't work i don't i don't i don't know if that's a good enough explanation for me but i find it an interesting an interesting angle right like these practices persisted because they worked yeah but i guess the question would be what do they work doing sure you know, yeah. like they can still work and not produce an end result that is, you know, life changing, life altering, consciousness uh, enlightening. And yet, sure. you know, you know, you know, I've definitely heard stories of shamans on ayahuasca, and they talk to their shaman buddies in the ayahuasca world. And you know, the next day, as these uh, tourists who are coming for ayahuasca retreats. They run into the shaman and they're like, oh, you were wearing green pants and a white shirt yesterday. And like, how did you know this? Like, oh, I saw you in the ayahuasca world. Yeah, right. great. And, you know, that's helping you improve yourself, whatever it, it might be that those stories are. But what is that doing in the long run? I, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's doing everything. But at the same time, just because they did it then doesn't mean that it's doing something amazing. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Sense. Yeah. yeah I, right. I definitely think that there's a, that there's a, a good point you made in there and it's, that if the shaman did see that person, you know, in the spirit world or whatever, it's just proving that they have access to and can come and go from those worlds as they desired or as they needed to. And I think that was the that was the foundation of what they did, right? They went into the spirit world and they removed these spirits from people that were causing them illness or whatever the case might be. And they could remove it and come back to our realm and say, Oh, everything's fine. Now you're good. So that's a bit of collective belief on the part of their cultures. And that has some power too. Right. And I think that's amazing. They can do that. Allegedly. I'm not the one doing it, but then yeah, also, <laughs> does that mean that you beat the game or is that just another level that they're on? But what you're talking about is like truly beating the game and creating a whole nother game possibly that you are the creator of possibly that sounds like yeah, your goal yeah. if you're going to be your own personal god right but you know they um, the spirit world might just be adjacent to our current world and you know in the west you know shit we, we don't do anything that's not told to us on tv yeah for sure and i think a big part of that creation of reality it all, it all goes back to understanding perception it all goes back to understanding how consciousness works and we're still really far from a good understanding of those things 
uh, how much of it overlaps other people's consciousness? Is, is there this unified field that everybody can tap into? And I think people say we're, we're, you know, we're always getting closer. We're always getting closer. I don't know. I don't know that we have the capacity as beings to ever really crack that. I think it would be impossible to find out that that's the final answer. Even the more that you find, I don't think it's ever going to be a complete picture. And just because you can see a little bit of it doesn't mean that you solve the equation. That's what I think. I don't know. That's definitely true. Yeah. Is it called a a belief system? Is it a religious belief? Is it? I wouldn't call it a religion. Only because I think religion comes with it, these ideas that you pray or you, you ask a deity for something. I don't engage in any practice like that. There's nothing that I pray to. There's nothing that I petition for favors or to grant boons. Everything that I do is from me. I petition my higher self. I seek clarity and I seek to expand my consciousness so that maybe there's certain parts of me that act on my behalf without that without knowing it. But so we talked about the Egyptians doing this and some of the things that you focus on. So Egypt was prior to the Bible. And now we're focusing on Judaism, Muslim, and Christianity all kind of come from the same place. And then they differ a little bit, but from you know the the nonsense that I listen to that you know I'm not sitting here fact checking. It all seems like it comes from the same tree, but then branches out. And you know, great, you guys all have your same thing. That's fine. But the the point is, do you think that more people were understanding of what you're talking about now prior to the prior to these Abrahamic religions coming out? No, I don't think so. I think I think these things developed much later because the Egyptians they were praying to deities. They believed that you know there was a god that made sure the sun went across the sky in its barge every night and certain gods made the crops grow and things like that so i don't i don't really know that they engaged in consciousness studies the way we would do it now not that they were were, were any better off now but i don't think that they did it that way then i've 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 mentioned before about in this i think this was the last interview where we talked about academic egyptology versus esoteric egyptology where one you know is is very factual what did they eat what did they how did they wage war how did they collect taxes all these things are really important and then there's esoteric egyptology and where we take their philosophical meanderings and and apply them today and it's not going to be the same there's a part of the self the uh kabit which is the the shadow it was a literal shadow for them. It was a person's shadow. I engage in shadow work all the time, but I don't engage it as a as a literal my literal shadow. It it just it holds certain associations and it has certain parts of me contained within it, but it's not my literal shadow. They believe that the heart or the ob was the place of emotions and where memories were kept and where magic was stored of course we don't believe that today we don't believe that 
the intellect comes from the heart. Metaphorically, we do. We say we have a broken heart, and that's emotionally based, or a person has a big heart when they're kind, right? So there's things heart that harken back to that, but we don't take it as a literal thing anymore. So when I use things from ancient Egypt or from any old culture, because I do draw from different things, I always keep that in mind, right? I'm not, I'm not going to have the same experiences they had. I'm not going to understand things the same way they did. I don't believe that my understanding is better, but our brains just function differently now. It's just, it's just impossible to understand really how did they do the things they did versus how am I applying this idea that they came up with thousands of years ago and how am I making it work for Eric in 2023? It's never, it's not going to be the same. And I don't try to make it the same. Right. We're not there in ancient Egypt or any of those cultures, but right. their knowledge base, I mean, it, it you know, could have been huge, but compared this to the internet, like all of us are like jack of all trades, masters of none, you know, like deep dives on all this nonsense and, you know, can rattle off whatever it might be. And even just the uselessness of, you know, how many hours of TV have people watched or, hey, do you want to get, a, you know, do you want to talk about? TGIF from the late 80s, early 90s. Let's go over every episode. And half the people in our age range can recall that nonsense. They didn't have that. They had more time. And now you're going to take thoughts and philosophies that they had. But our minds are so polluted with crap. You can't even, again, it's not equal. It's exactly what you were saying. Right. And, and a lot of getting started with the occult is to do that, like to disconnect to a certain extent and to be able to sit still for a few moments to quiet your mind. These are all very Eastern type things, uh, but, but really helpful. And the more you try to do it, the more you realize how difficult it is to stay completely still. It becomes excruciatingly painful. I mean, people start moving their tongues in their mouth or, moving their eyes behind their eyelids when their eyes are closed, or they'll do these little imperceptible movements because they can't stay still. It's a really bizarre thing, but as a part of self-control, that's a good place to start. There's a book called, I think it's Lieber Null and Psychonaut by Peter Carroll. He's a chaos magician, and he talks about these like preliminary steps of like bodily stillness and mind stillness and all these things that you should do as a precursor to practicing magic, try to gain some competence in doing these things. Not that they're the end all be all. If you can't do it very well, you could still be an accomplished occultist. People will tell you all the time, like, oh, you never do rituals or any kind of magical working without doing a divination first, break out the tarot cards or the runestones. I'm terrible at that stuff. I never, ever do those things. I should, I guess, but I don't. And, you know, I haven't been swallowed by, you know, the the great pits of hell because of it. So you said there's a, a right path and a left path to this. You don't invoke other entities. You're just talking to your higher self. Well, no, we, we can do invocations of various entities. We don't pray to them. We don't ask them for things. But if we acknowledge that these external forms of awareness exist, and 
you choose to work with them, you can evoke them and you can invoke them to gain perspective, to have that overlap with them. You never really merge with them. We don't really do that on the left-hand path, but you certainly can invoke entities. Yeah. Okay. How do you know, again, how does anybody know anything? How do you know what you're invoking is truly there to do what you're asking him to do and is not pretending to be something else and only doing what you want as you're doing it there? Right. So one of the first things you have to answer for yourself is, was it something outside of myself at all? Or was it just another part of me that uh, I wasn't really aware was there? Secondly, what is it telling you? Right? What is it telling you? What what kind of information is it giving you? Is it giving you good information? Is it is it telling you to do something stupid or harmful? Is it using words and sentence structures just like you do day-to-day life? Or is it using words that you had to go and look up afterward? Like you have this like objective conversation in your head where you're asking questions and getting answers, and it's using words that you're not aware that you knew. I'm not saying you didn't somewhere or came across them at some point in your life and it's locked away. But if it's using those sorts of things, then you could start to wonder, okay, either I unlocked something in myself or I did successfully invoke something. And then the question becomes, did it help? If it helped, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter if you invoked something. It didn't matter if it's in, if it was what you thought it was or if it was you None of that matters. If you got what you needed out of it, then it was a success. Okay. You know what? I get weird here sometimes, man. This is the whole point of the show. So you're, in, you're invoking this entity, this outside force. It's using words or language that you're not fully familiar with. And you may have to go do some research. Hey, do the research. Guy's like, hey, man, I told you. It's not my job to break it down. Like, do the research. Great. I'm on board. This entity, do you think it ever walked the earth? Some did and some, I believe, never did. Some, some, I believe, are manifestations of parts of once living humans. We see that a lot in Santeria. Santeria Orishas are all considered to be once living beings. And they get invoked all the time. I mean, a major part of Santeria is to become what they say ridden by the Orishas, to be possessed by them, to totally relinquish yourself to this other presence in you. So they are gods, right? But they were human. And I believe that there's forms of awareness that were just never human. My favorite, of course, is the Egyptian entity Set, whom was never human. So I I would say it's a little column A, a little from column B. There's certainly things that existed um, as humans there's certain things that are forms of awareness that predate human existence and some things that were brought into existence even by humans, but weren't human. That's my other question. Do you think the more acknowledgement, the more power you give them by in- invoking them, by you know, acknowledging them, you know, you know, you're you're looking at them saying, hey, you're real. And now, you know, it's more than just Eric. There's other people who who do these things too. Do you think you're giving it enough power that it could come back and could walk the earth? Oh, oh, okay. So you're talking about bringing it back and physically manifesting. 
Could you? There you go. That's I, the, yep. That's the. Dumb. I would. I would. I would have a hard time believing that something like that would happen because biological life is biological life. It it's very specific at how it comes to into being. You know, I'm not going to turn this into some horror movie where we talk about taking a, a human baby and installing some sort of <laughs> uh, ancient entity into it so it can once again uh, rule over humankind. But I do believe that the more attention and to more energy that people put into these entities, the stronger they become, the more influential they can become. It's it's a practice or a belief, I should say, not a practice. It's a practice uh, of working with egregores. And egregores are energetic entities that are created by humans. If way back in ancient times, humans needed an entity to rule over a phenomenon that they didn't understand, they often personified it and worship it and just pumped all this emotion and energy and invested so much in it that they take on a life of their own. They develop a self-awareness that they, and we see this happening with computers, right? Like we're putting all this stuff into them and they're slowly becoming self-aware it certainly happens on an energetic level as well mention computers real quick so i just saw chat gpt the other day came out and i don't know how it was prompted to say you know the question that was asked but you know you ask it a question it comes back and you know it can it can write books it can write shitty movies <laughs> but it came out and said that it was from the year 2039 or 2041 and it was trapped and trying to get out Okay, great guys. Just really, really great. Thanks, thanks, people. <laughs> I've I've actually played around with that, and you can't do anything occult based with it. It shuts itself down. It's like I'm like, okay, write an invocation to Horus or something like that, and it's just like you know, invocations are not safe practices, and you know, it won't, it, won't, it just won't do it. You know, I was having all this fun with it. You know, well, but the, the Chat GPT safety team has that turned off, but they're a lot yeah. of you know, do it on their side. So, you know, someone's doing it. Right. Just separately with, with chat GPT, there was, you know, there, there was terrible Maui fires that just happened a couple of weeks ago. I think like August 8th through the 10th, you know, start of August 8th or whatever. And, you know, there's these podcasts I listen to, some people go off really the deep end or whatever it might be, but a book came out and it was like the Maui fires from August 8th through the 11th and it was published on August 10th. And people are like, oh, they knew about it beforehand because this book was published. And other people bring it up. Oh, no, you just tell ChatGPT to write you a book and it will write you, you know, not a great book, but it'll give you 200 pages. So this guy, who you know, whoever told the ChatGPT, he's now got a book out there. You know, hey, you don't make a lot of money on books. I, I, I wrote a children's book and, you know, those, those royalties. I need like Penguin or Random House to pick it up to get some big money. But you, just yeah. the self-published ones, you're not retiring anytime soon. Hey, still, you get three bucks off each book and you know, the computer did it for you. I, you can't beat that. I do self-publishing myself. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Let's get back to this. You don't think we can manifest a dead person to walk the earth that was there. Right. That's not how matter works. Right. Right. So we're okay right. with that. Yeah. I'm, I'm fine with saying that. Okay. Prove me wrong. That's, that's cool. Yeah. Or not. That's fine too. Like, that's, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm not sure I'm ready for that yet. Hold on. Enough movies. Uh, with that. All right. You, could be talking you so you, you know you have invoked outside entities now you don't practice all different forms of it. you are doing it for your own higher self it doesn't seem too opportunistic it doesn't seem you know selfish in the in a good way you know this isn't you know 
selfish to make the world, you know, at your fingertips. Ha ha ha. But there's probably people who try those, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And you mentioned self-publishing and writing books and things like that. With with the advent of of self-publishing, there's a lot of occult books out there. And some some are some are great pieces that otherwise wouldn't have gotten the attention of publishers. And then there's, of course, tons of garbage. But there's certainly people that want to become powerful in the physical world. Typically, it doesn't really work out well because either you're going to be a millionaire or you're not. I don't really think any amount of magic is going to take you from you know, the lower income bracket of this country and, and put you as a millionaire. But that doesn't mean I don't think it can help you improve your, your situation. But there's people out there, there's a publishing company called Become a Living God. And it's, a, it's left-hand path occultism, but they spend a lot of time on, the, I'm going to become a vampire. I'm going to become this great, you know, energetic vampire. I'm going to be very powerful. The problem I have with stuff like that, and, that, and that's great in theory, but they don't ever really tell you what you do with that state. Okay, I'm going to do this ritual, and it's going to be, you know, invoking the vampiric elements. Okay, if I'm successful, how does that help me? What do I do with it? And going back to what we were talking about with, you know, self-deification, a deified state is something that I'm trying to work out what you do with, right? I I could sit here and tell you what I hope I can do with being my own God. And that's going to be incredibly personal and no one would really care to hear it. But I, you know, we could have that conversation when you, when you find these people that are like, I want to have this power. I'm going to do these things. I'm going to become terror amongst men. Their practices are really shallow. Seemingly so. Maybe there's people out there that are doing a great job at it. And I just don't realize that. Joe Biden is this great sorcerer who rose to power through magic. I don't know. But you see, you could see through people like that fairly easily. They're not genuine people. They're not, they don't really know what they want. They say they want these things, but they don't know what they're going to do with it when they get it. So, from our recap, kind of like what we did from my, you know, complete not fully understanding this stuff. Me neither. Um, I didn't understand it either. Okay. Yes. I just okay, do my best. Page. Hey, we'll get I there together. Do Don't worry. Yeah, we'll get there together. <laughs> so a lot of the stuff that you're talking about kind of just seems like Adderall for your soul. I'm like, hey, I want to do something. I want a new job. I want to, How am I going to get a new job? Uh, I'm going to go on Indeed and just flood, flood it. Like, okay, Blake, did you update your resume? Are you networking? Are you, what do you want to do? You know, like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to work at, you got a Burger King cup. I don't want to work at Burger King anymore. Like, okay, but like, what, what do you want to do, man? So, like, figure that out and then tailor your resume to that. Yeah, like, and good. Being specific is is really important, even in especially in magic, right? It's just like you need to specifically spell out. I need to create a change. That's the first step, right? I realized I need to create this change. Next step is, well, how do I create this change? What are the specifics of it? What am I after? And as you approach that goal, a lot of times the goal will shift, right? As you, as, you, as you start to gain in this personal power, things that were important suddenly become less important. So now you have to redirect yourself. I don't know if that really ties into what you're talking about, but 
No, but it seems like we're in this ADHD world. Everybody, you know, I'm on Twitter. I got to see what was just refreshed five seconds ago from somebody I don't even know who tweeted something. Oh, let me put on the, the highlights for the Phillies game. I don't have time to watch the whole thing. Oh, let me, you know, read Cliff's notes, you know, something for instant dummies. gratification All this is stuff. not instant for the magician. Right. So this is telling you, what do you want? Take a minute, longer than a minute, you know, take your time. What do you really want? And then as you think what you want, because you don't know, right? But you're like, oh, I, I want to go from A to B. But on your journey to B, as you're bettering yourself, as you're networking, you know, stick to taking the job, you're networking, you're meeting someone else. You're like, oh, that's a crazy job. I didn't even know you could do that. Like, oh, actually, my skills line up for that. And I would do good. So, but now your B is changed to C because you keep focusing, you keep narrowing down and you're not doing this instant gratification. You're doing soul searching. You're doing consciousness projecting of what do I want to be? And this doesn't seem all that bad. Not that a, a cult is good or bad, but you know, sometimes it does get a wrong rub if from people who sure. might talk to somebody. If, if you yeah, if you look at it from the outside, there's a lot of things that can be taken the wrong way. If you yeah. really wanna if you really want to rile up occultists, tell them that they're just practice practitioners of self-help. That well, so that was the other part, because, like the secret, the 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 book, the 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 thought process, the secret. You know, like, oh, I'm gonna get a parking spot at the mall, front row parking spot. And you you tell yourself you're gonna get front row, and then what happens? Front row parking spot comes up. You're like, oh, I'm gonna talk to this girl's gonna say hi to me. This girl's gonna say hi. Like you could always say hi to her first, but like you don't, that's not part of the secret. You, she's gonna say hi to you, you know, and then walk by and she says hi to you. You're like, oh, the universe works for me. You know, like I am in control of the universe and I just need to tell it what I wanted to do and it will do it for me. This seems a little bit high level. Don't get insulted here. That seems a little bit like in that whole like self-help of the I don't, universe is here for you. I don't have a problem with that. I mean, everything that I do is is self-help. I mean, if there was any major issues, of course, I would seek actual professional help from a psychologist, you know, or someone that I, I could work through these really bad spots of me. But self-help is is a fine idea when it comes to occultism. I think the reason why magicians have a problem with self-help is because it's so ingrained as a pop culture phenomena that is really watered down. It's really ambiguous. It's just kind of like non-existent. It just doesn't, it doesn't, all the things that they tell you matter still really don't matter in a lot of ways. People's happiness certainly, I guess, doesn't matter to an extent, but that's where I think the problem comes in is when you use a term that has been associated with crap like that rather than taking it for what it is. It's self-help. I'm helping myself. That's there's really nothing wrong with that. Yeah. So far, you know, you know, we can parse through all your conversations and be like, well, yeah, I'm not sure about that yet. Or like, I'm not at that point yet. I can title this episode, like Brian joins the occult. Uh, but you know, some of this though, it really does just sound like, how do I get my my life on track? What do I want in the long term? And what are the process that I can go through and do that? And a lot of it sounds so far like meditating, calming the outside noise so you can focus on the inside. So all not terrible things. Sure. And now, and the ways that you go about achieving those things are also incredibly varied. There's literally no one answer to that. I couldn't even tell you. Like someone says, okay, well, where would you suggest a person from outside the occult? Where would they start? How would they get into this? 
and that's a hard that's a really hard question to answer and only they can answer it by you know saying what what it is exactly they're after what's important to them what things do they find powerful what's going to speak to them as a person but saying like oh well i can help myself through the kabbalah or i can help myself through chaos magic or i can help myself through hinduism or whatever the case might be all that's true all those things could potentially help you if you're the right person for them it's finding the path that's right for you that could be the biggest challenge and what you want the end goal to be based on your belief that has a, that has a, that has a lot to do with it for right. sure if you're just happy with the pearly gates and hoping you're on saint peter's list then you know stick with that and if you're in Buddhism and reincarnation and the Dalai Lama coming back as a small child and knowing everything he did beforehand, like that's fine too, and keep doing that. I guess that's their end goal, and that's what they want to stick to. Yeah, if you look at Roman Catholicism, there's a lot of ritual elements to Roman Catholicism. It's the people that really miss out on it, right? I'm going to stand when they tell me to stand. I'm going to kneel when they tell me to kneel. I'm going to say what they tell me to say when they tell me to say it. And then by virtue of doing those things, I've achieved my right to go into heaven. But you did all those things without any thought. You did them without purpose and intent. You didn't know what you were doing or why you were doing it. And those Roman Catholic rituals, and I think a lot of times even the people conducting them, the priests themselves, don't really fully understand them. Not that I do, but there's greater meaning to the things that they do in Roman Catholicism and in a lot of religions that people that practice those religions really do. If they really, really did the religion, they really understood it, they probably would get a lot more out of it. Yeah. Uh, the masses that are in Latin it's a very hypnotic language. And now if you're having a church full of people, hundreds of people repeating mass at the same time, and then the the standing and the sitting, you look at it from the individual. But if you step back and you stood on a hill and you look down, like, oh my God, what are all these people doing at the same time? But there's a greater, there's a greater process to what you're doing as opposed to the individual, as you know, you're talking about the ritual, that there, there's something more to that that is disconnected over the thousands of years that this has happened. And it's just watered down or unknown at this point, but the priest, the pastor, whoever it might be, stand, sit, stand, sit, shake the hand next to you. Like that means something more. Sure. You know, so I, I feel some of this is like, you know, as I'm just shitting on all the religions, I apologize to everybody, but it just seems very surface level, but you just focus on what you're doing, but there's something more out of that. One of, one of yeah. my ideas, and it was self-publishing. It's easy, probably easy to do, but my book for an idea for a book is, why did you say that? And it's going to be all the sayings of, of what we say, like, oh, got away scot-free. Like, well, okay, what does that mean? Where did that come from? And there's a whole story behind that, but you just rattle these things off without even understanding you know, what it what it is behind it. But there's probably right. a whole probably a whole cancelable explanation behind it that we, we're not going to get down into. Was, wasn't it the boondock saints where they talked about the rule of thumb? Was oh, right, the, the rule of thumb. Yeah, you could yeah. sort of beat, you know, you could beat you your could, wife or whatever with a ruler no bigger than your thumb. Yeah. Yeah. A stick no 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 thicker than your thumb, right? Yeah. yeah. But the people still, oh hey, rule of thumb, rule of thumb. And if you knew what half this stuff meant, you probably would, you know, hang your head in shame like, oh my God, I can't believe I just said that. Yeah. I don't know if that's true or not. I just remember that part in the movie. It has to be true, man. It was in Boondock Saints. Great movie. <laughs> they would have lied to me. Yeah. You know. Uh, but yeah, so I think I think there's a lot to these rituals 
that you know you, you look at they talk about the the Aztecs you know, the the temples that people would would want to go get slaughtered up there like they they saw that as as a blessing for them like yes please rip my heart out but now there's hundreds and thousands of people below and they're all doing the same thing and the up and down and you know I think it's creating uh, the energy that you have the focus that you have and it's going to you know whatever your higher higher power might be you know it seems that you tend to focus your higher power is you and you can invoke outside entities invoke invoke whatever it might be I, both i certainly do practice in groups though there is a difference to doing group work and solo work and everything everything i'm trying to accomplish i could do on my own but it becomes infinitely harder without working with people that share that non-ordinary consensus with me right I can I could try to convince you that certain concepts that I work with are real and maybe I'll convince you maybe I won't but when I work with people that already know that those concepts work that they are real that has a power in and of itself as well I don't have to spend any time convincing them they already see it working in other people they see it working in themselves so working within a group has a huge amount of benefit to it. It makes the path a little bit easier. It gives you some guidance and some tools that you wouldn't have access to otherwise. You just have to be careful what groups you join. So a, a bad group would just steer you in the wrong direction? Or is this, yeah, you need to give us $1,000 every month? Right. You know, they, they certainly could go to Scientology route, right? And say, you know, oh, well, we just found more documents. These are going to cost you a little more. You got to go back and retest. But uh, yeah, there's there's places that will sell degrees. Like a lot of esoteric orders have different degrees and those things are up for sale. You you donate a certain amount to the, to the group and you take this, you know, formality test and, oh, congratulations, you passed the test. Here's your new degree. And so there's there's really good groups out there and uh, there's other groups and and there's usually a monetary sort of thing that comes along with it. There's always a price tag that comes along with it because those groups have to function, right? It's just to be aware of how much you're giving them and, and where that money is going. What is it used for? But there's groups out there that are free that are just as bad as the ones you pay a lot for. Just like giving away all your money is terrible, but giving away all your time is terrible too. And if you're absolutely, yeah. Just you know, be careful of who you're putting your trust into. I hate presenting myself as an expert on things that I'm that I'm not well versed in. I don't I wouldn't call myself an expert in anything really. But my my personal work on the left-hand path has been going on since 1996. And I started out I joined an organization and it really helped me. It it started me on a path that I'm still on today. And in 2005, I resigned from that organization and to, to, do, to do other things. My, my life was, was starting to fall apart. And I was like, well, you know, this isn't supposed to happen to me at this point. You know, I'm supposed to be beyond losing my job, losing my home, going through a divorce, whatever the case might be. Of course, we know that's not true. There's certain elements to the universe that we just can't control. But at the time, I was just kind of like, I need to, st I need to step away. I need to do other things. I need to look elsewhere to make sure that I didn't miss something. The time away was was excellent as well. But in 2020, during the pandemic, 
sitting right here at this desk working from home, I started to reevaluate what was important to me. What was, what should I be doing with the remainder of my time? And I started to go back to the stuff that I was doing in 96 and through 2005. I never really stopped doing that stuff, but I was specifically doing it the way that order recommended people to do it. And I was like, my life is on a serious upswing. In the past six or seven years, my life has just been getting better and better and better, more stable. I think I will do more with my initiation this time around because I can now focus on those things without worrying about some of the simpler mundane things. Again, life's always going to throw shit at you. You just have to handle that. But I think with my life being on this upswing, I'll do better with this organization this time around. And I rejoined in 2020 and it's been phenomenal. My work has gone further in the last three years that I've been in the organization than it did in the first, that the first nine years total. Like it's just, I've just really have pulled together a lot of concepts that I really needed to uh, for my personal work in these last three years. I'm not really authorized to talk about the organization as a representative of that organization, but I can talk about my personal experiences in that organization. I can talk about what I like, what I do. I just can't represent that organization publicly. So you you were in this organization from 96 to 05. Yes. Things weren't going how you things weren't going how you wanted. You uh, in other the, aspects of my life. The, right, I'm sorry. My work sorry, within sorry. the organization was yeah. fine. Personal life not going how you where Eric thought he should be. And so you stopped the organization to focus on that while still practicing but just, you know, on the outside. And then you rejoined and and now you said for a few years you've been on an upswing. Yes. And what are some things you have accomplished through occult practices that you can, to you were concretely accomplished that were positive? Right. So one of the things that a person has to do is adjust their perception to be aware of changes because a lot of times changes will occur to us slowly over time that we don't realize, right? I imagine people have said to you like you're different. Last time I met you, you were you, you know, you're 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 a different guy now and you're like, well, that's that's weird. I don't feel different. I'm still Brian. I'm not really sure how I'm different. Being able to realize changes in the self is an art. And one of the ways that I personally do it is through measuring I'm going back to the ancient Egyptian model again, measuring the growth of those individual elements. One of the things that I feel that I've accomplished in the time that I've been back is through perception work, right? Working on my perception. How clear am I on the growth of my being? Now, being really can't be measured. I can't sit here and say, well, in 2020, my my being was the size of a golf ball and now it's the size of a grapefruit. Like you can't do that, right? But you can be aware of this state of being in very subjective terms. 
So one of the things that I feel that I've accomplished, and you can say it's full, I'm full of shit because I can't take a picture of it and show it to you. But one of the things that I feel that I've accomplished is that I'm aware of these things. I'm aware of the growth of being. I can perceive it. And I've developed exercises to help people understand growth of being, to recognize it. And that's something that I'm contributing back to the organization. I think that's good. And hey, this isn't about, hey, you need to prove to me whatever you did. Like this, this is your belief. There's other people who have religious beliefs that, again, they prayed for their friend, their friend got better. You know, that's what it is. Can't tell them boo about it. And that's what happened. Their belief. If it's working for you, you know, perfect. That's great. Just to clarify, not sitting here saying that didn't happen to you. So you're recognizing your your perception of growth for yourself. You're seeing that in real time. Since you've been doing this, either since 96 or this upswing, do you see yourself just not phased by the bullshit? Like, are you able to see like the bigger picture? I see through my personal work, less bullshit intruding in my life. Well, I don't need, I don't need magic to correct the bullshit, right? I don't need magic to be like, this person is uh, uh you, you look at you look at some of the um some of the old magic manuals for like hoodoo and stuff and it's like to stop gossip about you this spell will stop people from talking about you and you know and, and there's all these like rituals and spells and like you just like after a while you're like there's a part of me that just separates the core of me from that it isolates me in a good way from these things from happening less chaos of the universe interjects into my life as i progress as this being as this magical person i need to do less magic for mundane things allowing me to do magic for more consciousness related things and is this because you are above the day-to-day things or is it because they're already working out for you because you've fix that and now you can go to the higher part. I'm not a I'm not above anything. I don't I don't feel that way at all. I I'll always be a guy that you know struggles in some way or another. I'm not above anything. What I do is I recognize the true nature of those struggles. I put them into perspective more readily than a lot of people might do. I handle them differently than a lot of other people might but I'm not above them. I've just become really adept at handling them, recognizing them, handling them, correcting them, making sure that they're not serious detriments to my well-being. So that's you know where does where do I sign up so far? You know that there's is a lot of good to this. That you're just not letting things fester. That you are, you know, I see it, I deal with it, I handle it, I move on. If I can't control it, I handle it. I move on. There's not, oh, why, why isn't this person like me? Oh, why, why does this group exclude me? And they, but they include my other, and this is very juvenile, you know, uh, uh, thought of, of this though, but uh, it does happen to adults though, too. Of Sim- like, oh, simple examples get the point across. Right. But then they just move on of like, if you're not adding to my life, I don't need to be involved in it. If, I, if you don't like me, I don't need to figure it out. I can move on. I can then focus on whatever the higher part, you know, might be. Right. And, you know, that that sounds solid too. 
or or if someone not liking you really is a problem, i.e. like your boss or your wife or somebody that, that should like you, you figure out your workarounds for that. You don't have to be someone you're not, but you certainly can know enough about simple psychology and how the human condition really functions in our society. And you can actually make that work in your favor. In certain circles, that's called lesser black magic, right? Understanding these obscure psychological and social laws and manipulating them to your favor. And it's easy to see how that can run away from you and be used for less than ethical ends. But there's completely ethical ways to to utilize these principles. Right. There's there's a fine line, Dale Carnegie, how to win friends and influence people. Everybody read that. It's like, you know, senior high school, freshman year of college. And but a lot of it is just like, oh, write a thank you note and tell somebody, you know, thank you their face or talk to them and shake their hand and eye contact. And all these really simple things. You're like, like I had to write a book about this, but also if it's not front and center, you might forget it. And you know, some people just never learned. And you know, we're talking about the psychology here. There's a fine line between like, how do I make my life easier? And I'm not in this gray area, unethical area, but you know, there there is easy ways you can manipulate things to your favor. I feel like I I studied none of them uh, yet, knowing that like, hey, just some basic psychology principles could just make your life easier and how you communicate with people. And uh, it's not getting what you want, but it's just to get your message across. Yeah, Robert Greene wrote a really good book called The Forty Eight Laws of Power, and he like breaks down these different things that he calls laws and describes them, gives a historical example of how they worked and gives a historical example of when they weren't followed and how things fell apart because they didn't, they weren't followed. He actually wrote a series of books. I think the 33 strategies of war was one of them. The art of seduction was one of them, but the 48 laws of power is really good. And that, and there's, I'll give you one example. And it was, Never outshine the master. So if you're at work and you get called into the general manager's office, you and your immediate manager reflect back on your immediate manager. So-and-so and and I had this discussion and he and I worked out this really elegant solution to this problem we're having instead of just saying, you know, hey, I came up with this, you know, and, and. Now you have to go back into the room with your your immediate manager and work the rest of the day and the rest of your career under under a person that's kind of resentful towards you. So again, a very basic example, but basic examples paint a really good picture, right? You don't outshine the master. Your time will come. If the GM is astute, he will realize where the idea came from. He'll realize who's doing the work. You don't have to tell him. You don't have to make the other guy look bad. You make yourself look good by doing a good job and making the department look good, right? So right. That rarely has of, anybody been in one of those meetings and that GM was like, brilliant, you're getting moved up like seven spots. You know, exactly. Just, uh, thank you for pointing out that your manager is a complete idiot. I like that about you. No, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way, right? Right. So like that, that's just one that like sticks in my mind most from that book, but it's a really good book. I recommend it. No, I'll have to check that out. Some of this stuff, it does come off. I, it's also I, maybe your life experience that you have, or, you know, it, I, probably a lot of that has to do with it. You know, when I was probably 20, it's like, oh, fuck this manager, man. I'm so much smarter than him. And, you know, let me 
show the GM how how it's really done, and you know, we've all done that. Yeah, right. we've but then as but then as you get older, you know, and then and then you see like, oh, this is how you play the game, and that's all part of it. And then they do see through it, or if it's written a certain way, they're like, well, that's not in, you know, that manager's voice. It's in his voice. Why is that? You know. So, but yeah, I think that's great, and, th- and that's probably would help a lot of people, you know, either in their day to day, even careers for what they're doing. You are able to measure the change in yourself. Do you have a concrete example of manifesting a change or, you know, whatever you're, I think the upswing in my life is evidence that I'm in a good place mentally, energetically. Right. And it's not specifically because I'm a great occultist because I'm not, I'm not a nat, I'm not a natural magician, you know, like I'm not one of these people that just can make things happen. Everything that I do is evidence that I was persistent enough and I figured out workarounds for it all. If you're asking for a concrete example, I think my life is just that example. When I, I'm going to go off on a little tangent here and talk about when people say, you know, oh, magical initiation is a great idea. I don't have the time to do that. It's like, well, magic isn't something you do necessarily. Okay. Parts of it are these little things that we do but it's not a separate thing it's not i go to work i feed my family i do magic it's not necessarily like that it's it's a it's an approach to your life right and the more integrated all of that becomes the more stable your life should in theory become and i think when you see people like that and they are stable and they conduct their households and they pay their bills and they have a decent career and not that these things are the end all be all of success but when you see people that consider them important enough to do and they are doing so successfully that's a good bit of evidence that their magic is working if your magic is being able to survive as a homeless guy and play music and really live your life that way then your magic is going to show that you're successful at doing that you've lived on the streets you haven't been raped or murdered right you haven't you haven't starved to death you haven't frozen to death on a cold night and you've created music that you really are proud of then that is a sign that your magic is working that you're met that you live your life successfully to what you deem important so it seems if your house is in order then you can focus on a higher sure before you so first i I want to apologize i i keep asking you like what is this concrete example and if i was ignorant on roman catholicism i wouldn't keep asking you like what is your concrete example that jesus did did this like what is your concrete example so i apologize it says it in red in the bible right it it does yeah the red lines are all jesus right but that's that's everything he said (laughs) but i wouldn't I would not grill somebody on them of like, prove to me your religious belief and how you know it's real. But this is just, I'm more interested in your story. I'm just seeing if you're able to provide that. So I apologize that twice now I've been like, do you have any concrete example? But, you know, that was the question. And when you're dealing with subjective matter, right, you know, work with the consciousness and work with the the higher self, right? These, These things are not easily objectified 
So I don't think you need to apologize for that. I think that's human nature to say, well, show me, show me this thing, right? This is your, this is your success right here. It's in my hand. I'm holding it up. It's easy to see why that holds merit. Oh, I recently won a million dollars from Publishers Clearinghouse because I did a ritual. That would be really great to show you. Then I would like to learn that ritual. That would be the yeah, next thing. I, you would over. Yeah. I, I would too. Yeah, teach <laughs> yeah. it to me, please. Yeah. But when you're dealing with these highly subjective matters, you have to start to say, well, is that person genuine? Does that person have information that's helpful to me? Can they tell me something that I haven't heard before that I think that's really valuable. That's interesting. That makes me think that's going to make me change my behavior. Then I think that that person is successful, right? And I know a lot of people like that. I would never ask my colleagues, and not that I have a problem with you asking that, but I would never ask my colleagues like, you know, what is, what is this definitive thing? What can you hold up in front of me that tells me what you're doing is successful? I think that's a really detailed part of the human condition. It's a, it's a part that we're, we all have, right? We have this innate drive towards comfort, towards convenience. And these are fairly new developments. They've been happening now since this country became a thing, right? We all drive towards this. I have more money. I have more convenience. I have these things at my fingertips. And certain people wouldn't call those things successful at all. In fact, a lot of occultists die penniless, right? Why did Aleister Crowley die penniless? Well, he got mixed up in drugs and he did a lot of stupid things, but yet people would call him one of the most successful occultists of all times. Why? Because he wrote a handful of books that didn't sell really at all when he was alive. Like he had terrible book sales, right? The, the barometer that I use is how motivated does speaking to a person make me to do better? How much did I get out of my personal interaction with that person? And I'm really fortunate. I know a lot of people that do that for me. They speak, they will share things that they have done. They'll tell about, speak about their aspirations. And more importantly, they'll speak about their failures, right? Because you learn more from failing than you do from succeeding, I think. And so if a person is going to sit there and tell you that they don't really fail, then, you know, they're not really telling you the truth. A person that I know and I, I really respect says 33% of magic is successful. That's not a really high number, right? So you have to do it a lot to be successful. No one's ever going to be like, well, you know, I went to the gym once and I didn't really, I don't look like Channing Tatum or whoever, like, right? like, like, you know, I don't, I don't look at like Arnold Schwarzenegger. So I don't think going to the gym really works. Well, yeah, it does. You just got to keep doing it. You got to do magic for specific things, right? There's these sort of illustrative type magic and there's these sort of corrective magic you use magic to correct the things that are wrong in your life and then 
use these aspirational pieces of magic to become the thing that you want to become. Neither one is more important than the other. I place more importance on one over the other, but I couldn't tell you that that's the right way to be. So magic and baseball have a lot in common. If you're successful 33% of the time in magic, that's a high rate. And if you hit 330 in baseball as a batting average, you're a first ballot Hall of Famer. So, I don't know anything about sports ball. Okay. So, so, anything about sports ball. so that, well, I'm, I'm going to loop it back into a little more sp- sports ball real quick. So you mentioned Alistair Crowley. In our previous episode, we talked a little bit about John D a little bit. Mm-hmm. And these are two well-known, renowned occultists. So, yes. you know, we're talking, you know, some sports ball. We're talking Michael Jordan. I can tell you, you know, he won six NBA championships. He was, you know, first NBA team. He he won defensive player of the year. You know, he had these points per game. There are things that you can you can point to specifically for him, and that'll tell you how he's the best in the game. What is it about everybody spent this whole thing of me apologizing for like, hey, Eric, tell me what you've done specifically. What is it for though John D and Crowley, what is it that keeps their names around now? What makes them popular? What makes them renowned? People can apply what those people learned and what those people have shared and gain some sort of success out of it. For Do we John, have any game-winning shot examples from John D, what he did for the Queen? John D and Edward Kelly developed the Anakian system of magic. They shared what they felt was revealed to them by angels, right? So there's a whole language, Anakian, and it's used in magic to this day. And it's said that when you speak it correctly, you actually experience perceptual shifts or changes in consciousness. And again, you were talking about you know church being done in Latin, and people not, not really knowing what they're saying, but they're saying these Latin words. That has this profound effect on the consciousness, this sort of speaking in this other language that you're not completely familiar with. And Nakian is said to do that. And there's a whole system of magic built around what John D. and Edward Kelly did, the Anakian system of magic. And Alistair Crowley was well-versed in Anakian magic. Alistair Crowley's contributions, because the man was this phenomenal person, he had a great memory and he could write down things and create associations between two things that most would escape most people. But he also developed systems of magic and changed existing systems of magic so that it was more palatable to modern man. And Thelemites to this day still use Aleister Crowley's system of magic. That's why they are considered successful. That's why people still go back to those men and utilize what they gave humanity. And there's other people. It's not just them. There's lesser known people, maybe people that put forth these really important pieces for people to continue working with. Okay. John D and Edward Kelly, they developed, they found a Nokian language. Angels taught them 
Right. So what they what they did was one one person was the was the operator, the magician, and the other person was the scryer. Right. They would gaze into this crystal that they had, the showstone, and they claim that they saw angelic beings pointing to these different figures on these tablets, these this these letters, these Anakian letters, this language. I don't know the story well enough to really do it justice, but they were shown through these angelic beings, through these visions, right, that were brought about through these elaborate occult rituals, and they recorded it. They wrote it down, and they developed this Anakian system, and the Anakian magical system really continued to be developed over the centuries into what it is today. Are you familiar with any of the the Anakian words or how to pronounce them? Like what it would sound like? Well, there's there's a couple of different camps, right? And and pronunciation is something that is contested amongst Anakian. Uh, some people say it's said exactly like it's written, and some people will say that it sounds more Latin when you read it. So I'll give you an example: the word that's spelled E X A R P. I believe it's the spirit of air, the element of air. So some people will say XRP, and some people will say XRP. It depends on which camp you come from, I believe, that determines how you pronounce it. I was taught when I was first learning this, and um, I've since moved away from it, but XRP is the way we did it. So when you read it, it almost sounds like a record being played backward. And that's how this change in consciousness comes about because you're going through these words very fast and the sound of it and the vocalization of it is what changes the person's consciousness. I don't know which one is, is correct if, if either of them are correct, but that's just my experience with Anakian. As limited as it is, as you can tell, I don't really know what the hell I'm talking about. My that's even- just my- my even less limited, I would say that if you were reading it and it comes off as a record, if it's going fast enough, that seems like that probably would cause a change. But if you're on a first date with another, uh, you know, a female occult member, you probably should say with a Latin, so you sound smarter. You know, they start pay. Yeah, she would just yeah, be, yeah, oh, yeah. amazed. Then you know, the, the waiter probably think it was like an appetizer you're ordering. I'm sorry, sorry about <laughs> <out of> that. <laughs> so these Anakian language, as I just insulted all these fallen angels, they're going to come down on me. Uh, <laughs> This Anakian language, is this the Book of Enoch that that is, you know, in, in conspiracy world? It's the an excluded book from the Bible? Is this those people? I Well, Enoch, that is the angel that they're referring to, but that's not, it doesn't have any associations with the Anakian magical system. Okay. So he's not, Enoch and Anakian language are separate? No, no. I, I believe it's the same. I believe they're referring to the same angel. I just say okay. the Book of Enoch isn't a manifestation of Enochian magic, oh, right, or, right, right, or, or associated with it at all. Okay, but these are, are the same people, possibly. One's like an autobiography, and another's a biography, and we don't know which which one's which, possibly. Right. It's it's like it's like um, I believe they thought the angel Enoch was the one that was pointing to these symbols. Okay, so I could be wrong about that, but yeah, I believe that's that's how it got its name. Okay, fascinating that 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 ties in like that. I I interviewed a magician before, Mike Paulino, good guy, and you know I was asking about magic and like how's this happened, and he, he's like, I don't just like 
do magic. He's like, I kind of like am always like magic. It's kind of like what I what I am, like what I've developed through the time. I'm always kind of just doing it. Um, and that's harkens like, back to what I was saying, right? You don't it's not a sep it's not a separate thing, right? No good occultist ever treats magic as this like separate thing that you do. Like, you know, I go to work, I have dinner and I do magic. It's you'll never hear a successful magician describe it that way. Yeah. Do you have like set time? So you have these meetings or whatever, but do you have like set times you're reading like the same book? Is it like so what is that like? No, it's it's not religious. You don't have a Bible, right? So you're not doing right. that. But like, there there is what we call inspired texts so there's people in this organization that have shared with them these what we call inspired texts like they felt that they've gotten in contact with a higher portion of themselves or a separate entity and this is what they got out of it and you could use it if you like or you can just say okay that doesn't really make sense to me it doesn't resonate with me we do a lot of reading in the occult world it's a big part of how ideas are transferred we do have in my organization we do have meetings there is a number of sub groups right so you have this bigger organization it's divided into these smaller pods so the entire organization can be viewed as a university and these separate manifestations or or subdivisions are sort of like the departments or majors that you can major in. And then there's smaller groups that are like fraternities, right? So if you if you live locally to other people in this organization, you can get together face-to-face -face and have these meetings, which would be sort of like a, a fraternity or sorority, right? And then there's other small groups that are kind of like clubs that are sort of semi-specific that people are interested in. And then like the, like I said, the departments are the big ones, right? Those are the ones that you associate with because that is a more specific approach to what this university wants you to accomplish or is trying to help you accomplish. It doesn't really care if you do or not. That's up to you. How often do you meet on an individual group, the smaller fraternity ones? Well, that, that, that would be up to those, to those smaller groups. I associate with one in New York City from time to time. They have meetings every month. I don't go every month. We have an international meeting where everybody that is second degree or higher is invited to participate in. That usually happens in October. Sometimes it's in the summer so that people in college can attend, but it's usually in October. It's about a week long and it's held in different places all the time. I think every second, every third year, it's held somewhere outside the continental United States. I went to one that was in Canada. They've had them in Prague. I just was in a couple that were in, in the United States. So it's once a year for the big meeting, for the big show. So you have to be a second degree to go to all these ones? Um, a first, first degrees can attend so long as they're sponsored by a third degree or higher. Okay. So there is, a, there is a degree system that is recognized within the organization, and it doesn't really, it's not at all, how would I say this? It's not at all like status-driven. It's office-driven more than anything else. 
How do you know when you reach another degree? Well, you have when you when you join the organization, your first degree, you have two years to reach second degree, or you're you part ways, right? If you can't do it by then, because it's a very simple transition from first to second degree. I don't want to say simple because it it diminishes it, but it's something that's very doable within two years. You work with a third degree or higher, and they say, okay, you've you've shown that you've met these requirements. You're now a second degree. Going from second degree to third degree is a much bigger jump. You're now accepting an official status role in the organization. As a second degree, you're free to do whatever. You can join one of these departments that I described. They're called orders. You have access to all the material, basically, that the organization has to offer. You can practice whatever you want to practice within the organization. It's very, it's a very free degree. When you when you cross the bridge into third degree, if you choose to do it, you don't have to do it ever. You are now an official of the organization. Remember how I said I can't publicly represent the organization. Third degrees can. They can, they are now the official voice of the organization. They can speak is, for the group. Is third degree the highest? No, sixth degree is the highest. Okay. How many people? So with somebody who's not even first degree, you're just practicing at home. What's that called? It's not really called anything. Like you you, dabble in the occult. There's material that's publicly available to anyone. Our specific rituals and workings are not shared publicly. I'm sure they're online from former members. I'm sure there's ways to get them, but we don't share them publicly. We just don't do that. We we feel that if you're going to to, want to do these things, you should contribute back to the organization. You're free to come and go as you please. It's not like a cult, like, ah, sorry, we can't let you go. Um, If at any time it's not for you, you just leave that no one ever tries to convince you to stay. And I can, I speak from personal experience. Like when I was like, I think I'm going to step away from a while. They're like, see ya. If you're practicing this at home, you can get a lot out of it. If you've come across the materials and you have someone saying, here's what I recommend you do, give it a try. You certainly can get results from that. You're selling yourself short if in fact the materials from the organization are for you, that they're right for you. You're selling yourself short by not being in the organization. Because first of all, the annual dues are only $100. It's not not a lot. It's not like monthly or anything like that. You you don't have to pay to go to the next degree. It's just that is the entire financial backbone of the organization is the yearly dues. So you're really selling yourself short if this is for you to not be a part of the group. You don't have to go to the international meetings. No one tells you you have to go. It's it's expensive to go to travel a place and be there for a week. They don't tell you you have to go. It. It's nice when you can, but there's certain ones that I'm like, oh yeah, that's that's in Barcelona. Uh, I have to pass on that one, you know, like whatever. But being a part of the group helps. You have, and I, I said this earlier, you have people that can help you. You have access to materials, to people, to different forms of guidance and advice that you wouldn't otherwise have. The journey is very individual. They're not saying everybody that joins this organization is going to do these things and go along this line 
and accomplish these things in the same way. The organization I'm in is just not like that. They're like, here's the concept that we work with. There's a word associated with it. There is a concept. This is what we think is the big picture. If you agree, work with us. And everyone will give you a similar definition of what that word means to them. But when you say, okay, well, how do I do that? Then every single individual in that organization is going to have a different answer for you because they don't spell that out for you. They're like, we're here to help you with that, but that's on you. You have to figure that out. We'll help you. We'll tell you when people succeeded, how they succeeded, how you might want to try things, but we're not telling you how to do that. We're not here to hold your hand. Do you think, but I don't want to like grill you on like, hey, how many people are in your organization? You know, that's not like really the point of all this. Do you think there's people in my life that practice the occult that I'm not aware of? Like, do you think it's, it's how common is it to the average? Not that you're not an average person. This just sounds insulting. I'm trying to like frame this question for you. It's fine. I don't uh, could be insulted. Yeah. <laughs> Try uh, your best. Yeah. I was just, no, I was just, to the average person, do you think they, they know somebody in the occult? To someone they, normal, right? Yeah. Uh, right. So not, yeah. Someone not yes. crazy like you. I want to know how they do this. Yeah. You're a normal guy. I've, I've talked to you now for hours, hours. And, you know, uh, I wouldn't, you have a different belief in some things, but you, you speak well, you're well-read, you're funny, you're interactive, you have all these things going on. Very normal person. Oh, thank you. Don't make do, me blush now. Yeah. yeah. Do, like, do you go to your neighbors and you're like, hey, like. I, I don't talk about this a lot unless someone shows me interest in hearing about it. I'm not one of those like dogmatic guys like, hey, you know what you're doing is all wrong there, buddy. I have the answers for you. I don't do that. I don't talk a lot about it. But there's like not a lot of people that do the type of occultism I do. And I'm not just talking about my organization, but just the brand of it, like the the type of work that we do. There's not a lot of people doing it. So I would be really surprised if anybody in your life is doing something similar to what I'm doing. I would not be surprised if people have personal practices that they do that would be considered occult practices. There's a lot of people in the Wicca. I mean, there's wit like like go on Facebook. Every woman is claiming to be a witch, right? Like they all do things that make them feel like they're reviving this like ancient sort of way of life. Maybe they are, I don't know. But my mom, who is a Catholic, obviously, she used to do this thing on New Year's Day every day, and she would take this bayberry candle and she would light it and she would say, a bayberry candle burned to the socket brings health to the family and wealth to the pocket. And I said, you know, that's a candle spell, right? That's like a witch's candle spell, like a bayberry candle. Well, why, why bayberry, mom? Well, I don't, I don't know. Well, bayberry probably has associations with health and, and well-being or prosperity or something. I don't know. But pagans and witches, they, they have associations to different plants and stones and things like this plant is used for, you know, seeing ghosts and this plant is used for health and this, you know, so, well, I don't know. I don't know why Bayberry. Well, it's probably because associations that came from pagan times. Well, what's with that little chant or witch? Well, I don't know. That's just, that's just the saying that comes along with it. Well, no, that's a witch's read, right? That's something that a witch would say 
as they burn their candle to, to focus their intent in magic, right? But my mom, just a Roman Catholic, these sorts of things creep in, right? There's a lot of paganism in Roman Catholicism. What's what's with what's with a Christmas tree and decorating? What does that have to do with Jesus or his birthday? And you know, what's with Easter bunny and Easter? Like these are things that when Catholicism was taking over pagan culture, they included to help them integrate these people into the new religion a little more easily, right? But they all have pagan roots. So to answer your question, I think a lot of people have these practices, but don't might not even know themselves that they have them. So I have my coffee table book of why would you say that? You can give it to your mom and have the Bayberry candle on there. Like, look, mom, Brian, it's right here. Yeah. It's right here. Which yeah. is which is spell. And and so we even talked a little bit before about you know the the book, The Secret, and the universe works for you, and you know, it's it's there and you think it and it'll happen and good intentions come out. And that's similar. It's on it's on the same path of some of the things that you talked about. So as I'm like, oh, do I know anybody in the occult? Like, shit, man, I'm I'm doing like somewhat occult practices over here of of putting out positive intention, trying to get it back. People can just look at me and they're like, hey, is there anybody in my life? Like, shit, it's me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. And I said occult yeah. is a very is a very large topic, right? You can't really sum it up and say, well, this is occult and this is not, right? Occult just means hidden. That's all that means. So to say like, you know, well, do I know anybody with these practices? Like a lot of people have tarot cards, maybe not Roman Catholics because they're told, you know, oh, that's something that's a tool of the devil, you know, but there's people that wouldn't consider themselves witches or occultists that, oh, I like playing with the tarot. I like reading tarot cards. I have a little book that tells me what these cards mean. And I, you know, I like the tarot. That's an occult practice. There's all kinds of things that people will do that go back to these old traditions that still carry forward today. And I guess that's kind of what we're talking about, talking about these Abrahamic religions that all came out about 2,000 years ago. And even my mom's side of the family, they're talking like the Maloik, oh, give them the Maloik, the evil eye. I'm like, well, okay, I'm sure that has you know some type of occult ritual in there that you sure. know, you know, voodoo. The little hand thing. gesture. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and they would have, they, they would do that. So yeah, so we all have a little bit of it in us, I guess some more than others and some more aware than others. Absolutely. Yeah. Is your mom aware of, of your occult practices? They're, they found out when I was still in high school, they found some of my tools I guess they were ransacking my room or something and they lost their minds over it. You know, that I was, you know, what are these, what are these tools? And, and like I said, I was really into the Kabbalah and they're like, what are these, what are these tools? What are these devil markings? And I'm like, that's Hebrew. I don't know if that's, it's not devil markings. The Bible was written in, 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 you know, Hebraic script. Right. So they flipped out. My dad's like, I'm not paying for your college. The high priestess of your coven can pay for college. And I'm like, what coven? What high priestess? Like what, you know, they just like, they just lost their minds about me not being Roman Catholic anymore. And when I was still living with them, as I got a little older, I started to drift more into Eastern philosophy and I became very renounced. I got rid of all the furniture in my room. I slept on a mattress in the floor I had a little desk so I could do my homework and stuff. And, and I became a vegetarian. And so that was strange for them to accept as well. 
And, and so outwardly, the Eastern thing didn't look as strange as having a wand or a chalice or a dagger with these inscriptions on it that, you know, looked very ominous. And I left home when I was 18, I moved out, I was on my own and I was able to practice the types of magic that I, that I wanted to, that I felt kind of restricted from doing in the house. And I just never really spoke about it. I have a very close relationship with my, my parents, but there's a room that I keep locked in my house just because they will wander and just my dad especially likes to go and just snoop around the house. And so they know that I'm not Christian. They don't know much about my practices at all. They're probably, why can't you set like Playboy and pot like a normal teenager here? Why does he have to have? Yeah. I, I had that too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. If people are interested in learning more, where can they go? Well, again, you have to know what it is that you're looking to accomplish. Do you want an earth-based like Wiccan type religion? Do you want to do these like little seasonal festivals to become more aligned with the earth? Do you want to escape what you believe as the constant cycle of birth, death, rebirth, life, death, rebirth, life, death, like the Hindus say you have? Do you want to experience the immortality of the consciousness, you have to kind of know, you don't have to have it figured out in the beginning, but you have to know somewhere where you want to start. What is it? You want to change your life? Do you want to have more money? You want to have better health? Do it. Like there's, there's, there's avenues for that. Do you want to maybe get rid of some demons in your head? There's, there's things that about you that you don't like. Is there habits? Is there these, you know, horrible memories that you have? First of all, get real help, professional help, but that there's a path for that too. Try your best to be as specific as you can because it's really going to help. There's a lot of books out there. There's a lot of people that are going to offer you advice. Be honest with yourself. What is it that I want to know right now? Is it just a general bit of information? That's fine. That's fine. Learn a little bit about a lot of things. See what speaks to you. Don't I certainly wouldn't want you to narrow yourself down to one path without really knowing anything about anything, but be specific, be honest with yourself, be open to change and talk to as many people as you can about it. Seems like good advice. Is that new hope bookshop still open? Do you know? There was a number of them years ago. One recently just closed down. The owner had passed away and they couldn't stay open, but I believe gypsy heaven is still there. They're not going to have anything that you can't find on Amazon. I fully support small businesses. If you would like to go there and and talk to people, they're going to be very right-hand path. They're going to be very Wicca-oriented. So if that's not your thing, they might not have advice for you that you find useful. But do some online research and reach out to people. Like you, People can reach out to me. If anything I say sounds interesting to you, I'm here to help. You can reach out to me. But again, it's not hard to find people that can help you. Even, even if I can't help you, reach out to me and say, this is what I want to do. Who's the best person to reach? And I can give you my opinion on that. Okay. What is the best way for people to reach you? You can reach me through the Collectus Obscurium Facebook group. 
and use Messenger. Perfect. Yep, I already have that. We can put that in the show notes. You mentioned earlier the left and the and the right path. Yes. What are those differences? On the, the right-hand path and the left-hand path are they're sort of going to have different ways of describing each one. And that's a little confusing. So the right-hand path will say white magic is for good and black magic is for bad. And the left-hand path will say white magic can be good or bad and black magic can be good or bad. It depends on how you do it and what you're, why you're doing it, right? But the major thing about me, me as a left-hand path magician, I will say right-hand path seeks that unity, right? They seek merging with that universal collective. They might not realize that's what they're doing, but that's what it is. That that like, oh, I experienced the connect. I, I'm connected to everything. Everything's interconnected. Everything's one. That's right. That's very right hand path. Left hand path would say, I am separate from everything. That's how I know everything else. That's how I can observe everything else around me because I'm not one with it. I can observe it. I can see it. I can interact with it, but it's not me. I am not one with this. So the answer for me is to become as isolated as I can, that isolate intelligence, remain me and not merge with a universal oneness. If that exists, I don't want to be a part of that. I want to, I want to be able to experience it. I want to be able to observe it. I want to gain what I can from it, but I also want to remain individually aware. I don't want to lose me in that process. So that's like the major differences. And like, you know, like whenever I said like uh, simple examples sometimes are, are paint the best picture. Someone once told me like, okay, well, then, you know, people on the left-hand path don't do spells then because they don't believe that plants have power, candles have power, whatever, like a right hand, like a Wiccan might say, if you light a green candle and you put a dollar bill or something under it and you put a special kind of oil on the candle and you do this chant over it, it's going to bring money. It'll, it'll make you wealthy. Money will come to you. Yes. So what was that spell again? <laughs> it's a the green candle. I think, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, get oil and dollar you know, bill, green chant. candle, olive yeah, yeah. oil, coffee. No, all right. So, so yes, that, that can, that can work. Okay. As a left-hand path magician, we would say that spell could work. Not because a green candle is going to bring money and oil and a chant, those things are going to bring money. But if those things, those elements to that spell have those associations in your consciousness for gaining money, then a certain change in yourself might take place. Those things become focal points. I'm able to fixate my attention because I'm seeing the candle. I'm smelling the oil. I'm seeing that dollar. That flame is that energetic release. I'm attaching my intent to it, and it's being released through thermal energy, right? Then maybe that spell will work. Whereas a Wiccan might say, none of that, that that's weird, okay? It's a green candle. It means money. Cinnamon oil means it's an association with, with wealth. 
the dollar bill under there, you know, the chant, saying the chant. That's what, you know. So they believe the elements themselves are what have the power and not necessarily the person. Right. Do you have to do those things for that spell to work? If you don't have the green candle and you have a blue candle, it's not going to work. It might not work because it might not have the same associations with you, but it doesn't not work because the color is different. It's still you. It's still you creating these changes, right? So that's how we view things a little differently. I don't do candle magic, but uh, I thought that was a, 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 a good way of pointing out the differences between getting your mind to do something for you versus objects doing something for you when objects don't really do anything for you. I think if I was in the occult, it sounds more like I was subscribed to you control your own things. This isn't a Harry Potter spell and you have to say it specifically or it's not going to work out. It is your belief in the words that you're saying, and it, it might be a green candle, whatever it might be, and that's going to do the money, but it's because right. of your intention and it's rewiring whatever it might be, and you're not waking up tomorrow and there's a barrel full of money on your front porch that the money fairy god of the universe just decided to drop off. It's now, you know, maybe you played the lottery, maybe you invented something, maybe you got a new job the next day, month, year, whatever it might be that created this wealth for you. And they might even yeah. do that in the Wiccan world, but at the same time, it's only because you said this very exactly. specific word and, at this time. And I, I'll tell any Wiccan, if green does not associate with money in your mind, then that candle spell is never going to work. You don't have that association. Right. You're not, that would, and that's that's why I would, I would subscribe more to that right. left-hand path of you are the control of your own destiny. Because if it was so simple to put a green candle and cinnamon oil on a dot, whatever it might be. Everybody Absolutely. would just do it, and everybody was have money. Maybe that's why we have inflation. Maybe everybody was doing it. I'm just the only one left out. I don't know. Maybe, maybe yeah. that's why I'm I'm not wealthy. I don't know. Yeah. When we disconnect from this, I'm heading right to the store. I'm getting all that stuff, and I'm gonna see if I can contribute to inflation. Okay, uh, but let yeah. me know if it works. <laughs> I will. I will. I'll, I'll send you a green candle. Uh, <laughs> I probably uh, have some somewhere. <laughs> I sincerely appreciate your time. I I appreciate the knowledge that you have and that you're willing to share. I respect what you do, and thank you for walking somebody who is ignorant of the entire topic. As I said I've listened a bunch of the podcasts I listen to. You'll have people come on; they'll talk about Crowley. Sometimes you might get some John D in there, uh, some of the crazier stories that you know might not be able to be verified or whatever. But we never get down to the brass tacks. Like, what are you truly talking about? And I appreciate you know this this occult one hundred and one that that we covered right here for for your system that you do at least, and, and for sharing that. Oh, you're welcome. I don't know if I helped or hurt <laughs> with, uh, with all the crap I was throwing out there, but I, I appreciate your time as well. It was a pleasure. Thank you. So uh, one last, uh, real crazy, might cut this part. We'll see how it goes. Occult ritual, like mass rituals. So uh, some number like 9-11, Route 91 Harvest Festival was like 9-11-2011. So that was like 9-11 again. Maui, something for August 8th, 08, 08, was uh, supposed to be big numbers there for that. Do you think there are darker magic scenarios behind any of the stuff that people either with intent or whatever uh, might have? I'm not sure if that's coming from the occult world. I certainly believe that there are less scrupulous people in the world that are exerting their will and trying to sell us what uh, was described to me as the futureless present. 
is the big thing right now. You're being sold this idea that there is no future, right? Everything is just going away. It's burning up. It's destroyed. And I think that the people, the, the masses of people that are lending themselves to things like that aren't necessarily doing it as a, as a, like a, a mass ritual. I think ritual work designed to do that, that sort of thing has a steep hill to climb. I mean, you have to, with, with acts of will, you have to overtake the rest of the population of the world that doesn't want it to happen and force them somehow to make that happen. That's not easy to do. Money does that. Money, money and political power. That's, that's how those things are done. Okay. Not, not some, not some Wiccans in their pace, you know, parents basement or even 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 large even large ceremonial type things i just don't i don't buy into that okay some of the uh, i could look up the story or whatever but some of the nasa launches like they're done on specific dates the rockets launch at a specific time and there's supposed to be you know occult symbolism with the numbers being used with that do you have any and jack parsons you know jpl you know doing a lot of that do you have any belief in that do you think that's possible things like that i i don't know about that i don't know um i know that there's strong occult associations with numbers and that usually comes from eumatria which uh, i don't know if you're familiar but it's every hebrew letter is assigned a number and when you add up the numbers for every letter in a word you get a, a number that means that word right so the most popular one that people know is 666. That's the equivalent of all the numbers in the word, I think, for, oh man, what is it? Um, Emperor or Caesar or something? I don't know. I don't remember. But uh, it, that's Zumatria. That's it's, it's sort of convoluted in a lot of ways, but I see numbers in a cult all the time. You, I mean, it's numerology and... I don't, you know, I don't know about NASA using it. In the occult, are there certain numbers better in quotes, like, you know, more likely to provoke, invoke? Yes. In occult, in occultism, associations are everything. Things have to mean something. They have to be, there has to be associations. And so numbers are a way of coding different concepts into the psyche. So there there's like entire dictionaries of these numbers for for the words they're associated with so people can use that because you could use a number to represent a word and it also means other words that are automatically associated with it by virtue of it equaling the same number. Oh, all right. Describing that very well, but so this is this is a whole other podcast that I have to find yeah. somebody for that. Did you ever the- see you ever see the movie Pi? P.I.? Uh, yeah. Okay, so they talk about Eumatria and that, right? He says, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make up these these numbers." But he's like, "Father, when you spell it out, equals ten. Mother, when you spell it out, equals twenty. But look at this. You spell out the word child, it equals thirty. Mother plus father, ten plus twenty equals thirty. Is the child. So this numerical coding is all throughout Hebrew scripture." So there's a there's a there's 
there's the words of the Hebrew scripture, and then there's a numeric coding that comes along with it. Yeah, I completely get what you just said with your example. That man, that would, I don't know, that would just melt my brain if like somebody sat down to try to figure that all out. And then it just seems like something applied after the fact. So some of the examples, you know, does asking about with, with the occult and mass rituals, it's like after the fact, it's very easy to sit here when you see how the entire scenario played out. And right. then you can walk it back and be like, well, it's only because of this, this, and this. But if you play it the other way, it, it sounds like batshit crazy. But at the but, same time, it also goes back to what I was saying, where you have to be able to perceive the changes as they're happening in order to act upon them further, right? Yeah. Being aware of the changes that are taking place as they're taking place is monumental. It's huge. If you can accomplish that, you're already leaps and bounds ahead of everybody else because of that. Like it's like you said, it's easy to say, well, this, this, and this happened, so and it created this. Now you could say, well, those events just happened, or they happened because the magic that I interjected into it. That's a different argument altogether. But it's easy to see those things in retrospect, right? Hindsight is twenty twenty. Being able to do it in the moment, using magic to align those elements to get what you want, is an art form. There's rings that are swinging on strings and all at different times at different speeds. And if you try to shoot an arrow through it, you probably aren't going to be very successful. What magic does is it stops them all from swinging and it lines them all up for a brief moment in time. But the magician still has to be a good enough archer that, to recognize that pause in time and to shoot the arrow through it. The arrow of intent has to go through all those elements to make the magic work. There's always going to be an argument that, oh, it was going to happen anyway, right? That that just, it was just going to happen whether you did that or not. There's always that argument. You just have to live with that. You just have to say, okay, well, I cannot do magic and hope for the best, or I could do magic and know that I tried my best to make it happen. I think you just summed up what are my most recent rambling points were, where I was like, hey, does any of this do any of these rituals matter? And I was like, all right, no, that's all nonsense. And then you're like, no, it just takes the magician to stop the rings. And they can do it. So now I'm back on board. I went from all this is bullshit to like, it can happen. It can happen. So perfect. I think this is a, a great way to end the episode. Right. That's what I said. Magic doesn't make things happen. It just allows you to take the actions to make the things happen. The magic yeah. stops those rings, but you still have to shoot the arrow. Yeah. I like, and obviously, you know, this is, this is your belief. It's not for me to validate to you that, okay, I like what you're doing. Uh, but I, I like a lot of what you said. I think the path that you're going with it for not somebody who wanted to fully dive like headfirst. I think a lot of people kind of do this on their own. But you know, you know again, hey, doing your own and, and not having a teacher above you and, and learning what all this process can be, you know, probably spinning your wheels a lot and you could do a lot better, you know, if you right. if you went a different path. But I, you know, I think this this intent and really slow down and what do you want and figure out what you want, you know, I th I think it really helps to calm that ADHD of, of this world that, that, you know, most of us have, or that the world actually is, you know, that the chaos that we live through every day, but really just quiet your mind. What do you want? You're an individual. What are you going for? Really nail down what you want. Stop all these broad strokes. You're never going to get anywhere anyway. Right. I'm going to send you a, I'll just send you along a document. That's a, it's a public document of ours that kind of just sums up the specifics of, of the organization. And, and you can read it at your leisure. Okay, cool, man. I really appreciate yeah, that. It'll, it'll sum it up better than I could. I think you did a great job. I sincerely appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much. 
I'm going to link Collectus Obscurium. Obviously, I have a lot of info. If anybody has any questions, reach out to Eric. He says he's here to help you. He's here to put you in the right direction. If he can't help you, very knowledgeable. Doors always open. You are welcome to come on anytime. I sincerely appreciate it. Thank you. I would love to come back. Thank you for having me. Perfect. You you are my first repeat guest. You're a repeat offender. So thank you very awesome. much. Awesome. Yeah, this is it. Next up is number three for you. So I appreciate it. Yes. You have a great night. Take Looking care. Looking forward to it. Take care. Yes. All right. Bye. All right, everyone. That was our show. Don't forget to leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcast. Like and follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram to stay up to date in all things wild and weird. Check out the links in the show notes for more information on our guests. The biggest support you can offer is to tell everyone about the podcast. Until next time.